invite you to turn in God's Word this morning with me to Genesis 37. We continue our study through the book of Genesis. We continue to look at the line of Jacob, and it focuses in on Joseph. Today we look at a son who was hated, not by his father, but by his brothers. That son was Joseph, and we want to introduce him this morning to kind of orient us to who Joseph was and what we can learn from him before we actually get into uh, his story. It really takes up the remainder of the book of Genesis with a few minor deviations showing of how God's people need the Lord. And Joseph, we see one who sought to live for the Lord as as we want to examine it this morning. Just the first few verses of Genesis 37, we'll make some comments and application as we look at other uh, parts of his life throughout the scriptures and how he points to the Lord Jesus. Listen to the word of God this morning. We're going to start in verse 2. Verse 1 really is the end of chapter 36, though our English Bibles say otherwise. And verse 2 is the start of New section, verses 2 to 4, Genesis 37. This is the Word of God. These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was pasturing the flock with his brothers. He was a boy with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any other of his sons because he was the son of his old age. And he made him a special robe. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. This is the word of God. May he bring insight and understanding to it this morning. The congregation, as we come to this new section in Genesis, this last section in the book of Genesis, we've heard about Esau's line. And now we're looking at Jacob's line, and we really focus in on one of Jacob's sons in particular, that is Joseph. People of Israel hearing this book, you remember when they wrote, this book was written, it was written by Moses under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and it was given to the people in the wilderness. They would have reflected upon Joseph as a very major person in their history. They wouldn't have missed that he was the one upon whom they were to focus because Joseph was the one, as we're going to see, was sold into slavery in Egypt, but also one who delivered the people of God, the line of God's people from certain death. And what we want to see this morning is that Joseph's life is is something of a picture of, of how we go through life. Joseph suffered And only after suffering and going through much trial and tribulation, he was exalted. As Joseph gets introduced, there are some striking facts that we notice about him that I want to bring to your attention this morning. First, though we read a lot about Joseph, if you look through the Scriptures, there's there's not a bad word said about Joseph anywhere in the Scriptures. You can look through the scriptures, you can, you can see where he appears. There's not a single word that speaks of Joseph's wrong behavior. Very interesting to note that. Something that um, I hadn't really thought about until I, I looked at it. James Boyce puts it this way, like all people, Joseph certainly had a sinful nature, but we're not told of any outward expression of it. 
Now, certainly, it was Joseph's faith that saved him, faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We see that in Hebrews chapter 11, that he spoke, he's spoken of as a man of faith. Yet, the fact that nothing bad is said about him must be remembered as we begin a study on his life. It's very interesting that we would, we would take note of that before we come into his life, for then we, we look differently at, at this person, at Joseph. Another striking fact is, in spite of that wonderful fact, there's not much said about him in the New Testament. He's, given his stellar character, we might think that he'd be everywhere in the New Testament. Well, remember Joseph. Look back to Joseph. He's mentioned four times in, in each of those uh, uh, recounting of, of him. Is very, it's almost in passing, almost passing, a passing statement, little com- very little comment made. Third, he's also never quoted in the New Testament. Now, we have other words, other uh, things said about the saints in the Old Testament. We have more words of Joseph than we have of any other character in the Old Testament. We would expect that he would be quoted in the New Testament. He's never quoted, not once. I don't know why that is. I, to be honest with you, I, I, I was, again, surprised by that and, and it made me think and reflect upon that. We'll see, I think, more why that's so as we move forward in our series in Genesis. But, and fourthly, uh, Jesus does not refer to Joseph. Jesus will talk about Abraham. Jesus will talk about Isaac and Jacob. And he says nothing about Joseph. Again, we would expect that he would say something about Joseph, given that he's such a central figure in Israel's history, as we'll see in the weeks ahead, Lord willing. But except for a few scattered references throughout the Old Testament, a few in the New Testament were really led to interpret Joseph's story from the narrative itself. And we want to reflect a little on his earlier years as we introduce him this morning. It isn't until chapter 37 that we're introduced to him. We read about him, his birth, but it isn't until he's 17 years old that we uh, are introduced to him. We don't know... um, much by way of, of clear uh, word on Joseph, but we know what his house was like as he grew up. And we want to think about that just for a little bit this morning and see if we can't see ourselves in Joseph's story. He's born to Jacob's favored wife, and he's a still a young child. His father brought him back to Canaan, back to the area of promise where they were called to live, but not before. Children, you remember this. His grandfather came trying to run them down, his angry grandfather, Laban. If you remember, they were going away. Jacob had taken his flock while his, uh, Laban was gone, the, the, the children's grandfather. And when Laban heard about it, he ran after them and he was angry and he said he, was gonna, he could harm them, right? He could do them serious injury, but God would not allow him to say even a, an evil word to, to Jacob. Imagine Joseph as he's thinking about this, as his angry grandfather threatens them. Well, they move on from there. Laban goes back home, and Jacob presses on with his family, with Joseph in tow. And just after this, there's another anxious event where Jacob has to meet his brother Esau, and he's not sure if Esau is going to receive him or kill him. 
He, the last he had heard from Esau was that threat that he was going to, that he wanted to kill him. Imagine what Joseph must have been thinking as his father made those preparations. You remember all the preparations? He's, he's dividing his family. He's putting flocks out. He's different groups. And he says, before, before Esau arrives, I want him to meet all of these different groups. And maybe, perhaps, I will appease Esau with all of this doing. Joseph likely heard those words that Esau wanted to kill his father, Jacob. And it must have been rather, those must have been rather anxious moments. Then Jacob hears that his brother is coming. His father hears that his brother Esau is coming. He's coming with 400 men. Not exactly a, what you would think of as a friendly uh, greeting. And so there they are again, wondering about this. And it says Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. I don't know about you children, if you've ever had a time where you, were, you dreaded an upcoming event, but imagine, imagine how Joseph must have felt as, as his father is preparing to meet his, his brother and he's perhaps wondering to himself, is my, is my dad going to die? Is he going to be killed? That's kind of scary. Now, I don't know that we all have events like that, but we have things that do distress us and cause us some fears, wondering what's going to happen. Remember, Jacob puts his family ahead of him over the river, and he says, I'll, I'll catch up to you later, and they go forward. And what happens as he's, uh, he's gone for a night, he comes the next day and he's limping. Can you imagine what? Joseph must have thought, what, what happened, Dad? Why are, you, why are you limping? And Jacob says, an angel wrestled with me and told me that I would be blessed. But I'm reminded that I must trust in him, that I must submit to him. Well, that certainly would have made an impact on Joseph, it was a limp that his father didn't lose for the rest of his life. Sometimes things happen to us, and we don't, they're maybe not that, that outwardly visible, but they make an impact on us. They, they leave us with, for, for the rest of our lives reflecting upon how that happened. How did I get that? Maybe it's an outward. How did I get that scar? How did, I, how did, that, how did that experience come to me? And Joseph must have wondered about this. Well, here's application for you this morning, fathers and mothers, as you parent your children or grandparents, as you parent your grandchildren, or you show uh, leadership to your grandkids, you have a uh, challenge to you to remind them that the Lord carries us through those trials and tribulations. Perhaps they have difficulties. They have challenges. They say, I don't know what to do with this, Dad. I don't know what to do with this, Mom. Grandpa, Grandma, I don't know what to do. We remind them of God's care. We teach them to trust in God. We don't, we don't always bring to them all the burdens that we've bore. We're not called to give our burdens to our children, but to say to them, the Lord's been good. He's been with me. I was just recounting that with someone in the hospital this week again, where Jacob said that a few weeks earlier, right? He said, the Lord has been with me wherever I've gone. That's the testimony that we have. 
The word, the Lord becomes real when we can testify to it. We don't want to, our faith in God is not something that's to be held to ourselves and say, well, I just, I just, just have this relationship, me and Jesus. It's to be shared or to be talking about it and saying, children, uh, to our neighbors, the Lord is real. And we can imagine that Joseph must have realized this is, this is real. My dad is limping as a result of his struggle with the Lord. But at the same time, we have things that, that militate against that. What else is happening in Joseph's life? What are his brothers doing? I'm just going through the previous chapters as we're walking through this together. His brothers go and they kill every man in Shechem out of revenge for what one man did to their sister. Joseph must have thought, I, 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 I don't know if that's how we should go about this. This isn't how we're supposed to act. He's, he's wrestling with all what he's experiencing and what he, what he hears, what he knows, and, and which message are we going to listen to, right? There's, there's a right way and there's a wrong way. If you've been reading the devotional, Nearer to God, that whole idea of wisdom and the two ways, right? One calls out, go this way. The other calls out, go this way. The right path. Joseph is trying to figure out what's going on. Well, the next event in the biblical narrative, what does Jacob say? Jacob says, we're going on to Bethel, and I want you to put away all your other gods, everything that you've been serving, all those allegiances, all of those practices that are, that are part of that life, I want you to get rid of them because we're going to serve the Lord. When they arrived there at Bethel, we can imagine that Jacob showed his sons, this is where the Lord met me. This is where the Lord came near. Beth, Bethel, Bethel, the house of God. Remember that picture in the previous chapters where he came down, chapter 28, and spoke to Jacob and promised blessing. What a powerful moment that must have been for Joseph. But then life comes with its challenges again. What do we have? Three deaths in quick succession. Deborah, the nursemaid of, his, of, of Rebecca, and then the death of his own mother, Rachel, and then the death of his grandfather, Isaac. Challenging again, is the Lord with us? What, what's, what's going on here? How is this going to, how, how are we going to get through this? We're not told what Joseph's thinking through this time, but we're just remembering what is it that Joseph deals with because we want to remember of how he speaks later in life. We'll get to that in a few moments. But these events shape us, don't they? All of these experiences, all the conversations that we have, all the threats, all the challenges, and we, we have to remember how to respond. Each event is pressing us toward, towards God. We need him. We need to remember the brevity of life. We need to remember that he's sovereign over every event in our lives. I, I don't know that I fully appreciated that when I was younger. So I'm telling you, young people, appreciate that. Know that. Recognize that God is sovereign over every event in your life. Every one of them. So that you don't have the wrong attitude and, and have hatred for that person that's maybe bullying you or for that person who, who ignores you or whatever. And you think, this isn't right. 
No, there are a lot of things that aren't right in life, and there are things that should be corrected. And, and Joseph speaks truth, and he speaks into these situations. I'm not saying we don't do that, but, but in them we recognize that God is still there to hear us. He's with us, and he helps us. Joseph's being prepared for some very difficult experiences. Friends, God shapes all of us through our experiences from a young age. Dave and Christine, wherever she is, we know she's listening. This is, this is a reminder to you right, to lead Charlie and to lead your boys, to remind them that God is with them and with you, sovereign over every event in their life. So they might walk with him, that when they are feeling afraid, they might look to him. That's that call that we have to teach and to instruct them, to pray for them, to set godly example for them. Joseph sets example of a godly life, as we're going to see in the weeks ahead. He responds in the end to the wicked plot, spoiler alert, getting to the end of the story. He responds in the end when, this, when his brothers are reunited with him, that, that, uh, and, and then after they were the father, his father dies, and he's, they're worried about what Joseph's going to do. He says, you meant what you did for evil, but God meant it for good, to the saving of many lives. He apparently knew how to bring his troubles to the Lord and to find peace in him. Not only that, while he's away from home, he's not compromising his faith, as we're going to see. He's not doing what he knows to be wrong. Though his parents are not near, though they they aren't there to, to guide and direct him, he remembers what is right and seeks to live according to God's commands. James Boyce says this about Joseph, God was always the chief and determining reality in Joseph's life. What a wonderful motto for us, a driving principle for us in life, to have God as our chief and determining reality. And these must have been wonderful words for the Israelites as they're wandering in the wilderness, and they're surrounded by what? Many gods, many many temptations, many trials, and they read about Joseph and they say, Boy, that's amazing how he did not compromise his faith, how he lived for the Lord. They should have, if they didn't, they should have reflected upon those words and been encouraged by them. We also can't miss how Joseph points forward to the one who was to come, the Messiah of God. I want to think about some of those parallels. Perhaps some of them have already been brought to your minds as we've, we've thought through a little bit or reviewed, rather, the story of Jacob and his son Joseph. When Joseph grew and was old enough to be with his brothers, he went out with them and we we're told that he was hated by them. Verse 4, hated by them. Well, let's look at the background a little bit of that hatred. Joseph was loved by his father, given a special calling. And what, the reason I read as I did that verse, the third verse this morning is the, the Hebrew there is not so clear that it's a robe of many colors. I know that ruins all the Sunday school stories. I'm sorry about that. But that's just not what the Hebrew is saying there. It, it doesn't really say 
anything, that comes from the Greek translation of the, of the Old Testament, this idea of a robe of many colors. But it, it does say this, that it was a robe, a special robe, something that distinguished Joseph from his brothers. His father loved him and he gave him this robe and it reminded the brothers over and over again that Joseph was, was dad's favorite or that he was set apart. And after some initial pasturing of the flocks with his brothers, in verse 2 we read, he is given apparently a different role. He stays behind, we read later in chapter 37, and only goes out periodically to check on his brothers. And, and so he's given this different, this different role. Now, we know how that makes us feel sometimes, right? Children, we get somebody... Well, we get chores. I think we still do chores today. I had to do chores. And you think, oh, wow, I got that chore. How come, how come my brother or my sister doesn't get that? They always get the easy job. They always get the, 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 the simple job. And I always get the hard one. Well, you can imagine the brothers thinking, what's up with Joseph? He gets to, he gets to stay home and he just gets to come out every now and again and check on us. And, uh, and we've got to sit here pasturing the sheep. Adults, maybe we think that way sometimes. We say, boy, they get the easy road to hoe. An agricultural illustration for those of us who've worked in the fields when we were younger. They got the easier road to hoe. They, 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 that's, that's the simple job. Why do we always get the, the hard job? Well, what's happening here with Joseph is not unfair. The father can do with his house what he chooses, but the brothers hate Joseph because of these things. And they, verse 4 says, they couldn't speak peacefully to him. They couldn't greet him nicely. Well, it isn't surprising then he brings a bad report back to his dad. Yeah, the brothers were, you know, saying some not so nice things about me. And so Jacob decides, well, I'm not going to send Joseph out with them. This could be harmful to him. Well, Again, I think we can see these parallels as they're developing between Joseph and Jesus. Jesus began his public ministry, and his brothers did not treat him respectfully. They said he was out of his mind. They didn't believe him. You can imagine that first, the first few conversations when Jesus spoke in a way that made it very clear that he was the coming Messiah. They would have said, what are you talking about? Who, who, said, who said so? Who said that you have that, that calling, that position? Why do you think you're so special? His own people rejected him. I think further in, in his life, though innocent and loved by his father and sent by his father to his brothers, to his people, he was delivered over to death by money. Remember Judas taking those 30 pieces of silver and agreeing to betray Jesus. Here, we'll remember, we'll, we'll see, Joseph is sold by his brothers for silver. Now, the Israelites obviously wouldn't have known this was going to happen to the Messiah, but we're seeing this already, and we're looking for, they're, they're looking forward and thinking, well, something's going to happen to, to God's promised one, if they're thinking about that, God's Chosen one, going to be turned over. We look back and we see that this is fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Joseph foreshadows this. Now, what do we make of this tragedy? Well, the Bible tells us it was God's plan. As Joseph became a savior of sorts, small s, he came to power and saved many lives through his ruling in Egypt. This was part of God's plan. So Jesus became a savior through his suffering and rising up. Before he rose to power, Joseph was in prison. You remember between two criminals, chapter 41, verse 1 tells us that they had done wrong. That they had offended the Pharaoh and were put in prison. Joseph's there between these two criminals, but he was not guilty of any crime. Jesus was on the cross between two thieves, innocent of any crime. What does Joseph do with those prisoners, fellow prisoners? He prophesies that one of them is going to be raised up and one of them is going to be killed. We see Christ saves the one who calls out to him, though others are judged unto eternal condemnation for refusing him. There is a difference between Joseph and Jesus. Joseph only prophesies. Jesus acts. When Joseph says, remember me to the one servant, remember me when you're restored to power, he's looking for deliverance. Jesus says, today you'll be with me in paradise. He promises deliverance to the one on the cross. He is able to give such a promise. The parallels are clear. The difference between the two couldn't be more striking. However, Joseph was a sinner saved by grace. Christ was sinless and yet became sin so that through his perfect sacrifice, we might be brought to to God. I want us to take hope in that picture as we think about it. Joseph's kept through all of these days of human hatred and he is ultimately delivered. We see how we are in a day where it's increasingly challenging, difficult, fearful to be a believer, to stand for the truth, and yet we know that God will deliver. We see that in the Word. Jesus was betrayed, tried, and crucified, but he was raised from the dead and today sits at the highest place. And says, I have a place for all those who will trust in me. Why did the world hate the Son? Why did the world hate the Son of God? Because he spoke truth. Because he lived for his Father's glory. Brothers and sisters, when we speak the truth, when we live for God's glory, showing that his word is the truth and that it it makes a difference in our lives, the world is going to hate us going to despise us. But we remember that the Father receives us for the sake of His Son. There'll be those who plot against us, even as the religious leaders plotted against Jesus, plotting to kill Him, saying that He was demon-possessed. But we are to live for the Lord. What does the world do with Jesus today? Well, if we present a Jesus who asks nothing of them and says nothing of repenting of sin and, and leaving the life of sin, they're, they're fine with that Jesus. But if the Jesus of the Bible confronts them and says, you must 
Turn from yourselves, die to yourself, and believe in me, and turn from your sin and walk in righteousness. Well, then there is great offense. But that is the Jesus who lived and who lives today. Jesus declares that we are sinners who need to repent and to turn to him to be saved. He calls to us to go and sin no more. He calls us to honesty and purity and to love and to compassion. Not to dishonesty and to impurity and to hatred and to vengefulness. What sets Christians apart is that they receive the Savior with joy. There's that final parallel I want to make this morning. Joseph's brothers could not give a kind word to him. They could not speak peacefully to him. What about us when Jesus comes and calls? Can we speak peacefully to him? Do we look to him with delight and with joy? Or do we have not a kind word for him? Why did Joseph's brothers not like him because he was unlike them. He sought to do what his father wanted, commanded. He sought to live for the Lord. The brothers acted out vengefully with hatred. Christ is altogether unlike us. He is without sin, but he is our elder brother, the one who has opened the way for us to eternal life. If we look to him, the book of Genesis tells the story of mankind. And in this last section, teaches us about the son who came to deliver us from certain death. We want to ask the Lord to give us ears to hear and eyes to see the glories of his son. And to remember that this son is the one whom he loves the one whom we must receive with faith and with much joy. Let's ask him to do that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we remember the importance of your Son, the one whom you loved, that the world hates, Lord, we pray that you would help us to see more clearly what he has done seeing his perfect obedience, his love for you, his commitment to you, his submission to you, as recognizing that all of the experiences he faced were under your sovereign plan for him, that he might work much good. Indeed, salvation of many. Lord, help us to live obedient lives to you, to look to you and to trust you, and to love you to care for those around us, calling them to follow after in the way of faith. Teach us and mold us, shape us by our experiences that we would recognize that on our own we cannot live out that life which you would have for us, but only as you empower us by your Spirit. Hear us, we pray, for Jesus' sake. Amen.